This podcast was recorded for the Sound Environment Show on Radio Galari. Radio Galari is a community radio station based in the Kimberley, Western Australia. For more information, go to www.galari.com. ACDC with high voltage there. And this is, of course, the Sound Environment on Radio Galari. We, um, back again for another week. And we have a guest in. We've got Danny. Danny is a student of Renewable Energy Engineering. How are you going tonight? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for coming in. So, folks, um, we just heard Mark Diesendorf uh, talking up renewables in the Kimberley. I mean, what? I mean, he's just one guy. What do you reckon? Um, is it a goer? Is it a goer? Yeah. Well, yes. there's plenty of sun. <laughs> there's plenty of space. Um, I don't know. In terms of, you've got basically two options. Um, you can have these big, massive solar arrays um, and then transmission lines back to your cities or your towns, or you can actually um, treat every house almost as its own little power station, you know, especially there's exciting things like Tesla's house battery, um, which is still in the works, but, um, you know, it, it means you don't have to sell it back to the government, to the tariff for a really small amount. You can actually store it for at night. You know, at peak powers are usually like five to nine at night. So you're gonna, you, it's very viable. Um, so yeah, I think I think in terms of just individual houses, it's it, it's viable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, something that um, didn't come up in the interview with Dr. Diesendorf is what happens in the wet season, which is a bit of uh, perhaps a a criticism or a concern people have about renewable technology when it's mainly based on solar. So then on that, I know of plenty of solar-based electricity systems around. Um, you know, is that something to be... Is that going to be a stumbling book? I, I don't know. I was just talking to Jason here, and he was saying that we've got 300, hours, uh, 300 days a year of just pure sun in Broome. Um I, I don't think it would be a problem. It's still perfectly... I'm from down in Perth, and it's still perfectly viable there, and we, we've been having, like, very cloudy winters that are... You, yeah, you guys have winter winters, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do. It gets down to, like, under zero. Like, it's it's freezing in, in winter. And even in the wet season here, generally, it's uh, nice and clear in the mornings, and it builds up in the afternoon for a big crash and thunderstorm, so you're still going to get a good most of the morning of, of, of sun, sunny skies. Yeah. Yeah, and there's always you, you can always have backup generators, and um, a lot of the the study I did was um, based on uh, RAP systems, so it's remote area power systems, but it's essentially just incorporating batteries, solar panels, and little diesel gens, um, and basically you can cover all your bases with that. Diesel turns on when there's not enough storage in the battery or not enough sun from the solar. Um, yeah. So, what sort of work are you doing at the moment in the Kimberley? Um, so basically, I'm, I'm doing my thesis at the moment. Um, so it's it's on exactly that sort of um, microgrid stuff. So I don't know, we had the Industrial Revolution and everyone decided to have these massive power plants with huge transmission lines. The cost of transmission lines alone, it's up around $17,000 a kilometre just for power transmission. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, so what we're looking at doing, especially for these communities, um, is we're looking at incorporating renewables into them. Um, so that would be solar. Wind is a little expensive and it's harder to deal with on the grid because it fluctuates so much. Um, but we're looking at incorporating just batteries, diesel gen and solar and then linking 
communities that are close by together um, so that they all share a diesel gen and a battery sort of storage system. And then instead of, you know, if they were connected to the grid or buying from the grid from the government, instead of that, they're actually selling to each other. So when they have an excess, they get a tariff for it that's a fair price. What they pay is what they sell it back for. Um, And it would leave them with more power than simply diesel. And when you say communities close by, I mean, how close would a cluster of communities need to be? Oh, well, like, um, it it all depends. There's a whole bunch of calculations that go into it with power losses and stuff like that. But, I mean, you've you've got huge transmission lines as it is. You could be within 100 kilometres, you know. Um, Yeah, so, um, yeah, distance isn't a problem. Of course, like, the closer they are, the better it would work. Um, We're actually also looking doing some research in India. Um, there's, I think it's 700 hectares with 70 um, different communities inside it, and we're looking at um, designing them and linking them up. But in short, what I'm here to do is um, there's no information on how much energy these communities actually use, so I'm here to gather that and then write a program that predicts it a day in advance how much power is to be used. A lot of these small communities are like a cluster of maybe 40 or 50 homes or not even that, mm. um, fairly close to each other, and then separated by vast distances to the next community. So mm. maybe the case where you'd have to design a system for each little community. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's definitely um, part of it. And even um, I think Luma, I might be mistaken, I'm still getting used to all the names, mm-hmm. but I think Luma uh, has like a sub-community within it. Uh, I think there's... Uh, 70 houses in one part of it and then maybe five kilometers away there's you know another 20 houses um when they're when they're vast distances apart of course yeah it would just be far cheaper just for the diesel gen um and the battery and the solar all to be located there yeah i could see a potential problem or maybe not Mm. where um currently the, the the power you know, the lines and all the infrastructure is owned by Horizon Power, and I guess they'd have to um, come to terms with that. Yeah, well, it's it's really funny you mentioned that. I, th- I read somewhere that um, recently they've um, put a bit of red tape on installing, like, um, batteries in your homes, um, which is really funny. It's just, it's just a last-minute grab and claw um, to save money. They don't want us to be self-sustainable. Um, not really funny. No, <laughs> not funny at all. Um, yeah, you kind of. I guess you kind of compare it to like a pay. It would be like a paper company um, saying that you can't use email because they're scared um, that you're not going to buy paper anymore. Like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like very interesting work you're doing there. Um, how long have you got to to work on that for? Um, so I'm taking a year. So the initial thing that we're doing. Um, I, I just moved up here a month ago. I rode my motorbike up here, which is beautiful. But um, I, I'm going out in the next few weeks, and I'll be interviewing every house in a community. At the moment, it's looking like it'll be Jalmadenga, um, and then possibly Luma, if I can get in contact uh, with them there. But uh, I'll be doing that and sort of gathering all the data and then collating it to make a load profile for the one community, and then another six months of programming um, and then we do some testing. We've got a shipping container um, with a bunch of like load banks, um, battery, diesel, solar on the top. So basically to simulate uh, exactly what we're looking at setting up. And then we test it using the load profile that I write. Um, so it'll simulate you know, people turning different devices on in their houses all throughout the day, 
and it'll relate to the temperature of the day, how hot it is, whether it's you know a holiday or a weekend or whatever. You might find it a little bit different to Perth. Um, yeah. I've noticed, you know, <laughs> one o'clock in the afternoon, everyone's got air conditioners blasting. You can yeah. see the power plant out there working really hard, blowing smoke into the sky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think there, I, th- I think, you know, um, there's a lot of people that are home during the day a lot more as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Night time you sit outside around the fire. Yeah. <laughs> Are you able to get any data from the Bushlight program that has, um, I guess, been running over the last decade or so, installing solar in small remote communities in Northern Territory in here? I have heard of those guys. It sounds like they do awesome work and it sounds like it's, it's probably very similar to what I'm looking at doing. I haven't actually contacted them yet. Um, but, yeah, I think it's probably a good idea to get in contact with them, um, even just for some extra data, you know couple of communities is better than one in terms of collating it yeah well, it'd be great to see how it goes because i mean we, we have talked about um the lack of um substantial renewable energy on remote communities before and how having these diesel generators is a phenomenal cost to mm. keeping these places alive i mean that diesel is really really expensive so it well, it has such a benefit. I mean, it's not just about climate change. It's also about people's livelihoods and ability to l- live on country when that cost is reduced. So I think it sounds like a really cool project. Mm. Yeah, I'm Kay. excited for it. Yeah. This is The Sound Environment, and this week we are talking about renewable energy. Can the Kimberley go renewable? Anything new in the, you know, in the area of electric cars? Wow. There seems to be new electric cars coming out by the month at the moment. Toyota have just released a new one. Um, the IQ EV. Yeah. Um, do you think that they're trying to, like, get some of the, you know, shiny um, iPhone, iThing um, branding? <laughs> yeah. Coming I think Hyundai it? had an i like, iLoad and an i this and an i that. Yeah. Yeah. They just need to scale it up to semi-trailer size and the Kimberley would be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's pretty cool, actually. I saw a, a thing, um, this brewery in America did a 1940s hot rod pickup truck that was completely electric. Um, they had it doing burnouts and everything, so that'd be nice. You can still have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you could put a stereo in there to you know, have a fake roar of the engine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I also read that um, Tesla have put in a uh, supercharger power centre in Goulburn, halfway between Melbourne and Sydney, so that uh, electric cars can refuel. Well, no, sorry, not refuel. Recharge. Uh, recharge on their way to Sydney. <laughs> so now you can drive from Melbourne to Sydney on electric power. Pretty That's cool. Awesome. I'm not sure how far that is. Eight, 800, I think, or something like that. So, you know, we, we could have a supercharger centre, say, in Carnarvon and Carrara mm. and Headland and maybe Sandfire and... Mine in Derby. <laughs> yeah. All the way. Yeah. Yeah, with our electric semi-trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, certainly something to think about. I mean, the other thing is there are different biofuels. That, you know, they've got their own sets of problems as well, but f- fuel doesn't necessarily have to come from fossil fuels. No, I think um, I think some of the locals, Tanya and staff and Harry Jackamara, they've both got house trucks that are running on veggie oil at the moment. Um, they, it's got to heat up on diesel first, but it's over to veggie oil pretty yeah, quickly. And, and that's waste veggie oil, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, st- um, staff had actually um, he put in a system that actually cleans the oil as they're running as well. Right? Um, so it's pretty amazing. And that runs off solar on the roof mm-hmm. of the truck. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's good examples from around Australia of other towns moving towards renewable energy. Ooh, yeah. What yeah. have we got that's new? Well, the first one on the top of my head is, is, is Denham in Shark Bay, because I used to live there. And there's three. Oh, really? That's where my family always used to go for holidays. <laughs> there's three big uh, wind turbines in the hill in Denham. It's probably the most windiest place on the planet. And uh, yeah, that powers, I think, half of the town just with three wind turbines. So, um, you know, easily potential there for Denham to be completely wind powered. Mm. And I think once once these towns do that, that's when you can think about going to electric transport. I think the problem with um, electric cars and stuff is unless the infrastructure is already there, unless you're actually getting the power that you're charging your car with from renewables, you're just burning coal at a different a different end. You know, mm. it's a little more burning it in a power station rather than as fuel in your car. But you need the infrastructure in place at first. And then we can think about transport, I think. Mm. I mean, that's a good point. But um, I guess as uh, we heard from Dr. Diesendorf earlier in the show, the rate of change that we're seeing in the electricity sector, uh, I think it's going to be quite a short period of time before we see renewables used far more widely. And, you know, as a consequence, we need to think about what are we going to do for transport in that new environment where Mm. yeah the the way we generate electricity has changed and are we going to use that a bit more for our cars what infrastructure do we need to make that work i was just going to say in a small town like broome you have the whole point that most people in this town for all that we like our suvs and we like getting out on country and going for a drive most car trips somewhere like broome are very short yeah you know they're 10 minutes max um, and there's, there's no need to be using a big, powerful car for most car trips in this town. We could all be driving around rechargeable golf buggies, and it probably wouldn't make much of a difference to anybody's life at this point. We just strap the kids on the roof. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, maybe we want a little bit safer than a golf buggy. But, um, but you know, some of, some of your, your shiny new uh, electric cars already that don't have a huge range would be fine. Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. work perfectly well and you have some solar panels on the roof of your carport and you plug yeah. it in when you get home and you're sorted. Yeah. And well, that's... Alan Gray's been using an electric car for the last few years and he used to drive it out to 12 Mile all the time, plug it into my cafe, charge it up, drive back to Broome again. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, solar panels as well, didn't did I just read recently that now there are transparent solar panels being developed? Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Actually, they're called transparent luminescent solar concentrators. Oh, you're full bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just a, it looks like a bit of glass. And they use organic salts when they make the glass. And it takes... Organic it, salts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're organic. It gets better. <laughs> isn't, isn't that kind of a contradiction? Are they free range? Is it free range salt? <laughs> they're biodynamic. Um. But isn't organic salt kind of a contradiction of terms? I mean, salt is by definition inorganic. No, I don't mean it from the biological sense. Organic salts are different to chemical salts from a chemical point of view. What do you What do you mean? I'm not going to give you a chemistry lesson right now, Kat. <laughs> Didn't you do chemistry? Do they contain lots of carbon strings or something? Isn't that what you need to be organic Organic chemistry? Yeah, um, that kind of thing. Way back in... Yeah, yeah. But anyway, these transparent <laughs> luminescent solar concentrators, <laughs> they um, capture the non... They need a better acronym. <laughs> TLSC, they, they capture the non-visible wavelengths of light, so infrared or ultraviolet. So the normal light passes straight through them and you can just look, looks like a window, but those light, light waves that we can't see gets concentrated to the edges of the panel and that's where the uh, electricity is converted. 
It's only infant stage, though. They're only getting about 1% efficiency at the moment, but they reckon they can get 10% efficiency, which is pretty good for a glass window. Yeah. yeah. And just think how awesome would that be? You know, something that light could come through, you could have it um, over the top of sort of like a patio area or maybe in a big city, you know, in walkways between areas. Yeah. You could Even have- like a greenhouse, like... It'll be perfect. Or on the side of a skyscraper. Yeah, every glass window <laughs> could be that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing. They had, um, did you guys see as well, they had um, roads that um, had solar panels built into them. Um, and they were also built in LEDs so the roads could light up and they could change the signals on the roads. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's one uni in America, Mich- Michigan State Uni, and they're just mm. going forward in leaps and bounds with this. They've also invented the um, origami solar panels. <laughs> origami you know the paper yeah. japanese paper cutting techniques uh, japanese paper folding yeah yeah so they've literally shredded the solar panel so that it can twist and move oh wow so that the panel can be in one position and not not tracking the sun but the individual little strips within it can track the sun and that okay. makes it far more efficient because it's always getting optimal sunlight very cool mm. yeah uh so it sounds like i mean the technology is there and you know so many different applications of the technology i guess we just start to look at on a (laughs) getting the political will and that's something that you know happens at a far bigger scale we're talking about you know national international policy um so Things, things are changing in canberra there's a new suburb being built in canberra it's called uh the denim prospect Mm. weird but they've passed a law there that all new houses in this new suburb have to be solar powered very cool right in the footsteps of parliament house it's, that's yeah. pretty cool they have yeah. a they, i think they passed similar legislation i'm not sure if it's for the whole of france or um just certain cities but i know they passed legislation that states that on every new building that's built um they have to either put solar panels or uh green gardens on the yeah. roof yeah, yeah. It's definitely getting there, and I guess as we're working up to the Paris climate change talks in November, we'll um, wait and see what outcomes you know we get out of that one on a you know on a global scale. Mm. Let's talk batteries. Yeah. Okay. So I think like it's important to mention, um, you know technology is going leaps and bounds in solar panels and wind and all that but at the same time like the battery the battery technology is really quite amazing um you're getting like gel sort of deep cycle batteries that are getting more and more efficient can store a lot more um tesla just released a house battery how it can store enough within a day of solar charging to power your house through the night which is pretty incredible because in the past um you just sell it back to the government for a quarter of what you bought it for um and now you can actually have it for later. So um, when that hits, I, I mean, I did a bit of work for a solar company and uh, they're getting calls every day about these battery packs. Um, so when that hits, I think there's a little bit of red tape at the moment. I think there's some energy companies that are a little bit scared of it because it means uh, massive losses of profit for them. But um, it's the way forward, I think. I think I read that Tesla are Australia is going to be the first place that tests the supply with batteries. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Go Australia. We can, we yeah. can be first. We something. need it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if battery banks are, you know, a total solution. Would you, I mean, you wouldn't want a battery on every single house because they're quite energetically expensive to make and they're usually made from, um, you know, materials that are mining intensive, you know, heavy metals, that sort of thing. I mean, it, it is like... 
that's just a whole other issue. I mean, like, even with going, if the whole world went solar, you know, we'd start running out of a lot of silicon. You know, it, it, it is... It still comes back to a larger issue of there is just a giant population. There is too many of us. And no matter how we're getting our power, um, it's going to mean yeah, using a, a lot of those minerals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, as as they sort of get better with the technologies, the batteries are getting longer lives. So, uh, and same with the panels. So that's something like improving the shelf life of the batteries. I think, I mean... That's one of the reasons why I like the idea of um, molten salt as a heat storage with concentrated solar thermal is that, um, you know, that's one central storage place, not a lot of dispersed storage areas. Because, you know, of course, the more parts in the system, the more you've got to look after. So, and when you've got molten salt, it is, I mean, it's a salt. It doesn't, um, it's not made of some of the same metals that you typically find in batteries. So yeah, that could great. be another option. Yeah, for sure. I know um, in it's either Colorado or California in the US, um, they have these heliostat fields. Just really simply, it's a bunch of sun-tracking mirrors, all points to the top of a tower here, and um, they pump water to the top. It instantly combusts, turns into steam, and turns a steam turbine, which creates electricity. But they also use heat storage like molten's. Um, salts to you know power the turbine later if they need to mm. Mm. and i haven't even mentioned carnegie energy and going forward with leaps mm. and bounds down at uh, garden island there with their wave uh, energy oh what's happening there i don't know much about it yeah it's just been scaled up i think they've gone into the the next stage um where they're supplying all of garden island with power and uh so garden island that's the military base of that's the right. coast of perth isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. So I imagine they'd use a fair bit of power. It wouldn't work in Broome, though. We've got enough waves here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something else to mention about batteries is I, I hear that there's been a ban on them recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Allegedly, you know, I, I did read this article, you know, on the net. You never know. But um, <laughs> I, I, I read that... Um, it's it's being made no, not illegal, but uh, it's, you're not allowed to put them in your house. You're not allowed to install them. Um, basically, I think it, it would take away almost um, it, almost all of the power you'd need to buy from the power stations because you could store it from solar. And that's been imposed by Horizon Power, is that yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll um, have to find out a little bit more about that for one of our future shows <laughs> because. Um, as we heard from Mark Dorf earlier, uh, the energy companies are being dragged, kicking and screaming into the current reality that renewables are king. All right, well, um, we might wind that up. Any last words to say, guys? Can the Kimberley go renewable? What do you think? Yeah, I think everywhere can go renewable. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks for your time. Uh, Caitlin and Jason, lovely, of course, to be in the studio with both of you again. And Danny, thanks for coming in and um, having a bit of a chat about renewables. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good night, everyone.